historical biography of the life of Christ, John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And it's an incredible passage of Scripture. Could easily preach two or three messages out of these 15 verses we're going to read, but we're going to focus on uh, really kind of one part of it this morning. And it says in John chapter 5, and I remind you as I read it, that this is the word of the Lord. Sometime later, later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep's Gate, and if you go into old Jerusalem now, there's all these gates around the exterior wall where you enter in, and they have David's Gate and the Sheep's Gate and different gates. Near the Sheep's Gate, there's a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And you can go to this site in old Jerusalem, the remnants of it. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. See, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders had created about 600 or so extra laws beyond what you see in the scripture. And one of them was how much you could carry on the Sabbath. And so they said, hey, man, you're defying one of these 600 laws. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Because they're mad and bent out of shape. They don't care that this guy's been healed. They just care that he's carrying his mat. The man who was healed had no idea who he was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus that had made him well. Do you want to get well? It's kind of a curious Almost strange question in a certain sense. From Scripture, it's absolutely clear, and there's lots about this kind of stuff in Scripture, that Jesus is the one who is able to provide healing for the whole person. Whether it's a physical illness, whether it's an emotional issue, a spiritual issue, if it's the sin issue that every single one of us has, without exception, he's able to provide healing, he's able to provide forgiveness and cleansing. And God is pictured in Scripture as the one who does the healing. Absolutely. First mention, first promise, in Exodus chapter 15, I verse I believe it's verse 26, it says, I'm the Lord who heals you. 
And he says this to the children of Israel and to us. He's the source of all healing. But as you read about this big idea all through Scripture, he approaches it in different ways and in different methods, always with him being the source of the healing. And one of the ways he approaches it is in James chapter 5, which we will be practicing at the end of this service. A couple, three times a year, we do a healing service. We pray for people at other times during the week regularly. I've already prayed for one person this morning, just individually. But I mean, we will set up some stations at the end, and I'll talk to you about how this is all going to work, and we're going to be practicing James chapter 5 at that point. And we'll give you an opportunity to come, or to come on behalf of someone else, which is again something we often see in Scripture. There's various reasons why a person is sick, so I won't go into all of them. This is something I've preached on many times, and we've talked about that, that, that issue, but there's six, seven, eight reasons people get sick, so sometimes it's just as simple as they're getting older. Sometimes someone doesn't do something sinful or wrong, they just do something foolish. Sometimes someone does something to them that's entirely not their fault, so an exterior thing happens to them and they get sick. Sometimes it's because they've done a sinful thing. Not always, but sometimes. But there's numbers of ways in which, or reasons for which a person can be sick. And so there's a lot to be said in Scripture about divine healing. We're going to just talk about some of what it talks about in this passage. And so at the pool at Bethesda, there's this bunch of people there that need healing, and it's a desperate place. It's not a happy place. And Jesus comes in, hears about a guy, and selects this guy from the crowd. And, and there's reasons for this. We won't go into all the reasons. It's not that Jesus is playing favorites. It could have been a timing thing. It could have been a heart thing. There's several reasons. But it underscores, and this is very important, it underscores the idea and the truth that God and God alone chooses when and how a person gets healed. That he's in charge. It's not some guy on TV. It's God and God alone who chooses when and how a person is healed. And so in this case, Jesus approaches this individual. We don't know the exact nature of his disability or why he can't walk or why it's difficult for him to move around. But Jesus comes up to him and asks this curious, almost strange question, do you want to get well? And we're thinking, well, of course he wants to get well. It's obvious that he wants to get well. Why would Jesus ask a question like that? And I would suggest to you that Jesus was asking him, and he's asking every one of us this, do you really want what I am offering? Do you really want it? You know, sometimes people go, for example, they'll go to church. They may even pray the prayer. They might have been part of a faith community for a long time, but the reality is their heart and their life hasn't really changed. They're not exhibiting in any clear way what we're 
invited to exhibit subsequent to salvation. The book of Galatians says there's nine elements to the fruit of the Spirit that a person that is growing more like Christ will begin to exhibit when they're filled with the Spirit. This is the clear expectation that Jesus has for every human being. But the reality is, this person is not any sweeter. They're not really much more like Jesus. They're not easier to live with. They're not more loving. They're not more sacrificial if they're a husband or a wife. They're not more generous. And so Jesus asks us, that guy, and I think he's asking us, do you really want to be set free? Do you really want to receive what Jesus is offering? Do you want to be healed to live a different life? Yeah, I'm going to heal you physically, but then I want you to pick up your mat and walk. I'm healing you to lead a different life. This is the focus of this passage, more so than the supernatural miraculous healing. Do you want to be healed to live a different life? Most people want to get well so they can carry on in life. But not everyone does. Sickness can steal the place of God in a person's life. They can build their whole life, in some cases, around not being whole. And after, this is going to sound radical, but after a period of adjustment, some people welcome the sickness. Some people secretly love being sick. Why would someone secretly not want to get well? First of all, let me say, in no way, listen to me carefully, in no way am I suggesting that everyone who faces an extended malady or an extended illness doesn't want to be healed. Not saying that. In fact, if you study the life of Jesus in the four books on his life, he has many encounters with multitudes of people in which he heals so many people. This is the only recorded time that he asks this question. Okay, so remember that. But secretly, why would someone not want to get well? Because getting well would mean making renovations that they don't want Jesus to make. What? You want me to humble myself? Oh, I'd like to pray that prayer because it sounds like I get to go to heaven. But you want me to go, you want me to humble myself? I don't think so. You want me to forgive the person that did this? Now, I was innocent, but they did this to me and it resulted in this illness or this issue in my life. You actually want me to forgive them? and let go of the bitterness I've been building up towards them and holding on to that keeps me warm at night? No way. You actually, you actually want me to listen to what my doctor tells me to do? Scott, I don't want to do that. I don't want to surrender. I don't want to yield. I don't want to listen. Do you want to get well? Maybe God has not healed an issue in a particular person's life. Not always the case, but it could be the case. Because if they, he did heal that person, they would get sick in exactly the same way again, very quickly, because of the choices they're making in life. 
and they are not willing to address those choices. And God says, hey, I want to help you, and I will help you make different choices, but only then will I heal you, because otherwise we're going to be right back where we were very quickly. Do you want to get well? See, some people don't want to get well because they enjoy being the center of attention. They like being cared for. They like being catered to. And they do not want to relinquish the unique status that suffering bestows on them. They don't want to be like everybody else. They don't want to take up the everyday responsibilities of being healthy. If God was to heal them, well then, things would be expected of me. I don't want to have to go to work and work long hours and pay taxes. Maybe get married someday and carry on domestic responsibilities and fix the roof when it leaks. I'd rather just lay here on my mat. I would rather blame someone else for my situation. Notice that this guy says, when Jesus says, do you want to get well? What does he say? I got no friends to help me get into the pool. Psychologists talk about this as being a state of homeostasis. And what homeostasis is, is people will hold on to what is familiar, even if it's really unpleasant. They'll hold on to what is familiar rather than choosing what is better, rather than choosing what God wants to do in their life. Read about this family therapist, true story. He was commenting on verse 6, do you want to get well? He said this is the biggest challenge, the answer to this question, that he faces as a family therapist. Then he tells this story, he said, of this married couple that was coming to see him, and they're at each other's throats. And he spent months with this couple, working with them, trying desperately, because he knows God, God is pro-marriage. God wants to see healing. God wants to bring healing in relationships. But there's no progress with these people. In fact, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And they're heading for divorce. There's nothing he can do. Final counseling session with them. The, the husband and wife come separately, and the wife ended up showing a few minutes early before the husband. And so he had a couple of minutes with her, and, and she's sitting on the other side of his desk, and he opens a drawer, and he takes out a bottle of Tylenol, and he took one pill out of, the, out of the bottle, and he put it on the desk between them, and he said, let's pretend for a second that that's a magic pill. And if you were to take that pill, magically, you would fall madly in love with your husband again, just like when you were first married. The pains of the wounds that you've given to each other would begin to heal. The frustrations you have with each other would begin to lessen. You would forgive one another, and over a period of time, you would end up with a great marriage. Would you take the pill? And she said, I absolutely would not. Yeah, I've come across a few people like that. And he said, if you don't want your marriage to be healed, I can't help you. Do you want to get well? See, when it comes to healing, 
God may want to process some things in our life. The most obvious thing that we're focused in on may not be God's top priority in our life. And from God's perspective, processing all that is more important first than healing the particular affliction that we're sort of focused in on. So let me just add, here, here's a tough one, okay. Is any part of this guy's story your story? See, God's top priorities, if you read the book, one of the merited meta-narratives, big ideas you see all through the Bible, what's the top things God wants for each one of us? First and foremost, he wants us to acknowledge God as God, that he would be first in our life. That's number uno. He wants us to come to the place of humbling ourselves and saying, I have done sinful things. Every human being has, and Scott has done sinful things. I'm hopelessly in this situation. There's nothing I can do about it. I don't deserve forgiveness. I cannot earn forgiveness. There's only one source of forgiveness, and that's based on, as we've shared in communion, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I will admit my sin and, and it'll probably be an emotional thing, and it will grip me what I've done. And I will ask him to forgive me. And I will give my life in its entirety to him. And then, as I lead a spirit-filled life each day, saying, here's the day, Lord, here's me. I began my relationship with Jesus. Now would you fill me today, each day, on the journey I'll be getting conformed more and more into the image of Christ. These are God's top priorities, bar none, for every life. One of the ways we see this, if you read Luke 15, it says there's a cosmic celebration. I'm borrowing someone's term here. There's this huge party in heaven with the angels. And you know when that happens? When one sinner repents of their sin doesn't happen when someone gets healed of liver cancer or something like that. That's a cool thing. That's an awesome thing. I've seen people healed that way. But more important is when someone comes and surrenders their life and is conformed to the image of Christ. Notice that after Jesus heals them, they bump into each other later in verse 14 in the temple, and Jesus warns them, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. See, there's more going on here than immediately meets the eye. There's a type of divine discipline going on. And God, you often hear me say this, he loves us, he wants what's best for us more than we do. He loves us too much to carry on in self-destructive patterns. And his great preference is that we would just comply, that we would humble ourselves, that we'd be changed by him. That's the way he wants it. But when we get stubborn, and we often do, when we get full of pride, and we often are, he won't, he, he doesn't just abandon us, loves us too much, and so he will begin to I'm going to borrow somebody's turn. He'll begin to poke us. And he will get our attention. And so he reminds this guy, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. 
If you come forward to be anointed and prayed for for healing, the people who will be praying, there's going to be teams all around the room here, our elders, leaders in the church, people with some gifting in this area, they're totally on board with you being healed. They're cheering for you. They're asking God in faith to do this. They're going to pray in a declarative way, not in a pushy way, because they're going, to, they're, prayer, they're going to pray with a sense of reverence, and yet boldly. Because they understand, as I said earlier, God and God alone decides when and how. God and God alone is the one who does the healing. They're going to pray saying, you know, Jesus, I know you can do this, and I ask that you would based on the work of Christ on the cross. But the top priority for e- that, that you have is that each of us would know God and be in a, a healthy, developing relationship with him. So they'll ask you, as you've heard it said many times here already, what do you need from Jesus? And then we give these spiritual leaders full autonomy, full freedom to ask other questions, the nature of which I've kind of been referencing. If God directs them, they may not ask you anything, but they're going to say, Jesus, is there something you want me to ask this person? So they might ask, it's just an example, do you know why this situation is happening to you? Have you actually been following your doctor's instructions? They might ask you that. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Or you're just going, forget it. We're not going there. And it could be, and sometimes God does have a word specifically for you that will be delivered from that person that's praying. And so sometimes God just heals supernaturally like he did in this passage, where God just makes the impossible possible. I've seen him do those kinds of things. I believe he can. I believe he still does. Sometimes he heals over time, but most often he he heals through the good gift of medicine. It's just one of those good things. And he's given human beings the capability to garner knowledge and to study anatomy and to learn over time and to um, create with raw materials medical devices and, and medicines to help. And this is just, our Father loves to good, give good gifts to us. And so medicine and doctors is just one of them. And as we see in this passage, God always heals, sometimes right away. Sometimes he makes us wait. You know, in a sense, it looks when you read this passage that he's just healing immediately. And in a certain sense, he is. But equally true is that this guy's been an invalid for 38 years. Okay, He's been waiting a long time. And I'm guessing, I don't know because the text doesn't say, and so this is only Scott guessing. I'm guessing that he probably prayed a number of times, God, would you please heal me? I don't want to be having to lie by the rule at Bethesda. Would you please heal me? And so sometimes God asks us to wait. Sometimes he asks us to wait until resurrection day when we'll receive glorified bodies. But he always heals. And if there's one thing I've learned, I've done this many times for many years, is that God's the healer and it's a good thing to ask. It's a good thing. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And I believe he can do it.
And so we just pray with this huge expectation with no agenda. No, no personal agenda. Just huge expectation, no personal agenda. Who can come to be prayed for? Well, anyone is welcome. If you have a physical or emotional or spiritual issue, we'd be honored to pray for you. Sometimes people come on behalf of someone else. We see this in Scripture. Depending on the circumstances, we may or may not put a little oil on your forehead as in keeping with James 5. Someone says, well, Scott, I don't need to be healed, but I just lost my job. And would you, would you pray about that? We'd be honored to pray about that for you too. What's going to happen is there's five stations around the room. This is how it's going to work. There's going to be two at the front, two in the back corners, and one upstairs. There'll be some music just playing gently in the background. So in a sense, you're coming publicly, but you're also coming privately. Nobody will be able to hear you except those that are that are praying for you. Come one at a time, or if you're married, you could come with your spouse or whatever. Uh, just take turns. Um, come inviting Jesus to, to, to work in your life. On the card, it says if you're not coming to be prayed for, you could still stay and pray. You'll see who's there. You could pray even though you won't hear. And if you're not coming or not praying in the crowd, I just invite you to just exit and the doors will be closed so that there's some you can visit out in the lobby. We're going to sing and then one more song and then I'll come up and we'll, and while we're singing, go ahead and get the chairs, the groups that are going to be doing the prayer things, go ahead and get the chairs ready so we're all ready to go. Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. 
From the ashes a new life is born, Jesus is calling.